So if you, if you were here last week, you know that we started a new series, and, and really it's a walk through six of Jesus' most famous parables. And, and one of the things that I think is, is most amazing about those six parables, and really all of Jesus' parables, is that they're literally direct quotes of things that Jesus actually said for the purpose of helping us understand who he is and, and what he came to do. And and last week, we took a peek at the parable of the sower, and the big theme that, that we saw there, what we learned through the parable of the sower, is that according to Jesus, everything in our lives depends on how we hear his message. According to Jesus, everything in our lives depends on here is on how we hear Jesus message and now all through all through his parables there is one common theme it's something that Jesus talks about a lot and it's it's the kingdom of God and the reason why Jesus is frequently making mention of the kingdom of God is because that's ultimately what he came to bring and now for us because the kingdom of God is such an such an abstract concept Jesus chooses to explain it in parables. And so, just, just so we're on the same page, a parable really is a teaching method that uses illustrations and imagery, all for the purpose of, of creating a concrete picture of an abstract truth. And the abstract cosmic truth that Jesus is trying to help us see is this. It's that the kingdom of God is the power of God at work in a broken reality, restoring everything. And it's comprehensive enough, and it's powerful enough to assault and heal every area of our brokenness. The brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our culture, and the brokenness in reality itself. And and this might sound far-fetched. However, I believe this is the kind of reality that you and I desire as, as, as people. I believe that deep down in our hearts, we yearn for a reality that's not plagued by injustice, or, or political polarization, where leaders are after their own self-interests. I believe that we long for uh, a reality that's free of poverty and free of family breakdown and free of, of racial inequality and, and free of all the things that really just set us back and free of sickness and ultimately a reality that's free of death. And, and although we might not agree on how, uh, to, how to get to that reality or the, or the steps through which we would take to get to the reality that we long for, I think it's something that we deeply long for. And when Jesus, when Jesus talks about his kingdom, I think what he's really trying to help us understand about ourselves is that we have these indelible longings deep in us, and really what they are is echoes of our need for God, and that the power of God's kingdom is at work to create the, the reality in which all humanity can flourish and all of creation can flourish. And so this parable shows us something amazing about God's kingdom, but it also is going to show us this parable of the wheat and the weeds that we're looking at today. It's going to present us with a pretty sobering reality. And it's going to highlight how elusive and how challenging and how unsettling Jesus' teachings can be. Uh, so often, maybe you can relate to this, so often I approach Jesus expecting him to, to confront and assault the things going on around me or the things going on in other people. And it seems like without fail, he ends up just confronting the things that are going on deep inside the depths of my heart. And I think that to some degree or another, everything Jesus has to say in his parables is intended to function like a telescope into heaven, but it's also intended to function like a mirror into the depths of of our hearts. 
revealing the parts of us that we, we exhaust ourselves trying to hide. And Jesus, the reason he would do something like this, the reason he would reveal the depths of the human heart is because he refuses to leave us in the dark. And this is why he speaks in parables. They reveal hidden truths. They reveal hidden truths about God, and they reveal hidden truths about us. And the parable of the wheat and the weeds is going to reveal that the kingdom of God is the power of God at work to create a reality in which all of humanity and all of creation will flourish But the sobering truth that comes with it is that not all of us will experience that reality. And so this begs the question, how do I become a part of the perfect reality that God's creating? And so what I want to do today is I want to answer this question by looking at the parable of the wheat and the weeds. This is a parable that Jesus spoke, and we're going to see some direct quotes of Jesus. And through it, I want to show you Some things that I believe Jesus shows us, that there are two kingdoms or two orders of reality at work in the world. And according to Jesus, they're not places. They're powers at work in the lives of people. Secondly, I want to try to show you that everyone is surrendered to one one kingdom or the other. Everyone is surrendered to one of those powers or the other. It doesn't really matter what class you're from or what race you're from or what gender you are or what sexual orientation you are or what belief system you ascribe to according to Jesus everyone is surrendered to something and whatever that something is has ultimate control over your life now lastly i want to show you something that i think is extremely clear in this parable and it's this that only one kingdom is the final kingdom and so because of all of these things i think it's really imperative for us to understand the difference between these two kingdoms or these two powers at work and to know to which one we belong. And so, so the first idea, I just want to lay this before you, is this. It's that the kingdom of God is the power of God growing in us. Go ahead and, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're in verse 24, and here's what Jesus says. Or here's what we read there. He presented another parable, parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. Now, what what I understand here is that there are two kingdoms in the world, uh, the kingdom of God and a counterfeit kingdom. Uh, they're, They're powers at work in the lives of people, people like you and me. Uh, One is working to restore reality, and the other is working to destroy it. And the conflict between these two kingdoms, I think that's something that we sense deep in our hearts, and I think it's something that we experience in some way in every area of our lives. And then lastly, I I think there's a clear picture of, of this, that our destiny, where we end up, depends on which kingdom is at work in our lives. 
And, and to show us that, Jesus talks about a person who sows good seeds. And then, and then he shows us an enemy who sows bad seeds. And in Jesus' day, the sowing of bad seeds, here's how you need to understand this. It would have been seen as an act of bioterrorism. This wasn't like, the, you know, we, we, we have a hard time relating to this because I think the biggest act of terrorism against our houseplants is us just forgetting to water them and then they dry out and they die. But this, this was extreme because it was an absolute onslaught against someone's land and someone's legacy. And here's why. The weeds that were sown were a degenerate form of wheat called zizania. And, and what makes zizania so deceptive is that its, it's, its growth trajectory and its appearance is very similar. It's almost exact to that of wheat. And so this made it difficult for a farmer to identify infestation. And so what that allowed for was time for this counter crop to intermingle with the root systems of the wheat, choke out nutrients, steal its water, and in, and in essence, stunt its growth. And so once you noticed a problem like this, which is what we see in the parable, your, your instinct would have been to, to just rip out the weeds. But abruptly removing the weeds, what we're told, would have actually killed the crop of wheat that you were trying to salvage. And so the only option that, that presents itself in a scenario like this is to wait until the harvest to allow the wheat and the weeds to grow up together until they start to produce fruit and you have the clarity that it takes to undergo the painstaking task of cutting and separating the wheat from the weeds. And so this would have taken tremendous patience it would have taken tremendous skill if you were going to salvage any of your crop. But here's the, here, here's the kicker. Even if you were patient enough, and even if you were skilled enough, it didn't really solve your problem. Here's why. There's another noteworthy difference between wheat and the degenerate form of wheat called zizania, and it's this. While, while the grains of wheat are nourishing, the grains of zizania are, are literally poisonous. And so the commingling of these two crops and these two grains would have rendered an entire crop useless. You can't sell it because doing so, the, the moment that you did that and doing so would have been career suicide because the moment that people found out you were selling a counterfeit is the moment people would have abandoned their trust in you. And so at best, here's what you could do. You could keep some of the crop for yourself. And so ultimately what you were left with was a tiny harvest after a tremendous effort. And so Jesus is using this picture of a good seed and a bad seed, and wheat and tares growing up together in the same field, really to drill down on this, that there's something growing in each of us. According to Jesus, it starts like a seed. It's planted, it's small, it's unassuming, and eventually it takes over your life completely. On one hand, Jesus is showing us the deceptive, dangerous, destructive nature of the counter kingdom, and on the other, he's showing us the powerful, restorative nature of the kingdom of God. Here's how he explains it in verse 37. He says, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And so when Jesus says something like this, what I believe he's doing is he's driving us to ask ourselves a personal question. So why not make this personal? Uh, and, and the personal question is, what's growing in you? And I know that there's a tendency with questions like this, what we, what we want to do is we want to look around to the people sitting to our left or to our right or the people in our lives. And we, we want to try to answer this question for them. 
I'm encouraging you to, to avoid doing that. And ask the question to yourself, what's growing in you? And then, and then subsequently, what do you want growing in your life? Because here's what, here's what I think we need to understand when it comes to this parable. And, it's, and this is according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the kingdom you belong to, the thing that's growing deep inside the recesses of your heart is more fundamental than your race. It's more fundamental than your culture. It's more fundamental than your sexual identity. It's more fundamental than your religion. And so the question is, what's growing in you? And I, I think that there are some of us who have things growing in us, and, and, and what we know now that we didn't know then is they started small and unassuming and subtle. And now they've reached a point in our lives where they have an absolute hold on our lives, and we're at a place we never really wanted to end up in life. And so one, one, one thing that I'm convinced of, and maybe, maybe this will make sense to you, is that one of the things that makes us alike as, as, as people, regardless of what your creed is or your belief system is, uh, in some ways, I think we're all looking for the same things. I think in some ways we're all really looking for a love and an acceptance without the fear of rejection. I think in some ways we're looking for purpose. I think we're looking for deep satisfaction that nothing can take away from us. I think we're looking for things like freedom and identity and forgiveness without, without the burden of guilt and shame. I think we're looking to answers for moral questions that we have. I think we're looking for a hope for the future. And what Jesus is showing us through this parable is there's, there's really only one kingdom that can ultimately provide these things. And it's his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. Because the counterfeit kingdom's way of providing these things, I'm going to liken it to, uh, to clothes that are too tight or, or skinny jeans, if you will. Um, I, somebody told me the other day that skinny jeans are out and now baggy jeans are back. I don't know. This is confusing. It's hard to keep up with. But I'm going to liken it to skinny jeans, and here's why. Skinny jeans always pinch. You can barely get those things on. And here's the thing. If the going gets tough and you're doing something that requires a little bit of hustle, they rip. This happened to me the other day, and I felt a draft, and I was like, geez, I didn't realize I was working that hard. And, but that, that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is that the counterfeit kingdom, it pinches like skinny jeans. And, and, and you know this, every time you get this deep sense of dissatisfaction or loneliness or you feel dissatisfied or you feel fragile or you feel excluded or left out or canceled. The, the, and, and then here's the thing with the counterfeit kingdom. There are times when it absolutely rips, meaning it falls apart, meaning the resources that our culture provides completely fall apart. And that happens typically when we face great pain or loss because it can't provide us with the resources that we need to actually come face to face with the things that we're facing in life. The loss of a loved one, a diagnosis that we didn't expect, circumstances that, that abruptly come on us and, and catch us like a deer caught in headlights. You see, I, I think what our, what our current culture is peddling or pushing or causing people to, to believe or consider as the means by which they can reach a point of fulfillment in life, it, it's a kind of individualism that, that, that suggests we're to um, be true to ourselves at all costs, to live as we choose and, and do whatever makes us happy as individuals. I think it cultivates uh, the belief that things like truth and values are relative and that the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. 
I think it, I think it, 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 it suggests that these are the types of things that are going to lead to ultimate fulfillment. And I think every time it does, here's what happens. It pinches like skinny jeans and it rips like skinny jeans because they don't fit. And ultimately what skinny jeans do is they leave you feeling wounded and exposed. And what Jesus is showing us through the bad seeds is that the counterfeit kingdom really just can't give us what we seek because it doesn't fit our identity. It doesn't fit the way that we were made. The counterfeit kingdom will eventually assault you and leave you hurt. But the good seeds, what they represent is, is a power that Jesus plants deep in the recesses of your heart. And as it grows, it helps you develop a meaning in life that suffering can't take from you. An actual love and acceptance without the fear of rejection. A satisfaction beyond whatever you're facing today. Beyond your circumstances. Beyond the pain. And a freedom beyond who's in power. And it gives you an unshakable identity. And I think that's the kind of identity that, that I want. And I think that's the kind of identity that you want, and it gives us a way to experience forgiveness and to extend forgiveness without bitterness or shame. A way to seek justice without canceling people out of our lives. And ultimately, here's what I think it gives us. A way to face death with a peace that surpasses understanding. I think Jesus, through this parable, is trying to show us that his kingdom is what our hearts truly desire. It's the kingdom that fits our design because it's the kingdom of our creator, the true God. It's a power that gets planted in the deep recesses of our hearts. And as it grows in us, it transforms us into the people that we were intended to be. So first, the kingdom of God is the power of God growing in us. But secondly, here's I want to show you how that power grows. Secondly, the power of God grows in us through surrender. Turn with me to verse 26. It says this, When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather up the weeds, the slaves asked? No, he said, when you gather up the weeds you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. I think there's a clear picture of the fact that our dilemma is far deeper than we realize, and it's going to take some time to resolve. It's kind of like remodeling a house. It always costs more and it always takes longer. I think that our dilemma is much deeper than we understand. And in letting the wheat grow up with the weeds, what Jesus is trying to do is divert our focus from looking for, for surface level, one dimensional solutions to our problems. And he's trying to help us consider that at the root of every single one of our problems, at the root of reality itself, there's a cancer destroying everything from the inside out. And if this is true, if things are being destroyed from the inside out, I think, I think it begs the question, well, how do you, what do we need in response to that? Here's what I think we need in response to something destroying us from the inside out. We need a power that will change us from the inside out. And so what we see here is that our primary need is for a savior, not a surface level solution. And Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God really is the power of God unleashed in a way that's going to incrementally 
and comprehensively get to the very root of the counterfeit kingdom and put an ultimate end to, to, to the way that it works in our lives and in our culture and in reality itself. And when Jesus talks about the harvest, this burning of weeds and gathering of wheat, he's showing us that he's a savior, powerful enough to create a reality, not just one where you can have independence and personal rights and equality, but one free of poverty and free of sickness and death, free of sorrow and pain and grief, free of injustice and racism and classism, free of loneliness and bitterness and family breakdown. The harvest represents a world where all the brokenness, that's the social brokenness, relational, political, economic, psychological, physical, emotional, and even the spiritual has been completely healed because the power of the counterfeit kingdom, whether, whether in our lives, our culture, our institutions, has been annihilated so that everything God wants for us becomes an absolute reality. I think that deep down, we yearn for this. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think Jesus is inviting us to imagine a world like this because the kingdom he came to establish is that other world that we were made for. It's the reality our hearts yearn for And the picture of the farmer shows us that Jesus is the only leader that can bring it in the way that he brings it is through surrender. This picture of the farmer shows us that Jesus really is the leader that our souls were designed to surrender to. And I think you know this. Uh, I think you know that, that leaders are very capable of making or breaking an organization. And I think that um, it stands to reason that most all of us have had experiences with good leaders and bad leaders. And I think what we would, re- what we would conclude is that under poor leadership, there's nothing but tension and breakdown and dysfunction. When you're under a terrible leader, things are terrible. Uh, but the moment the leadership changes, things can change. Things can, can be revolutionized. Things can be transformed. And so I, I want to tell you a little bit of, a, a, a bit of a personal story. Um, so before, before I came on here, I was a middle school teacher. And I had the privilege of working at the same school for a number of years. And what was unique about this school is three years prior to me coming on the staff there, it had opened its doors for the very first time. And so from the start, uh, what was unique about it is it had really good leaders. And because of this, we didn't experience a lot of turnover, um, there was the, the, the staff really, in a sense, was like this, this big family, and students felt comfortable and, and at home in our building. And so um, that was an amazing experience. And, 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 and during those years, during the last four of those five years, what I saw was a healthy culture get even healthier. Because during that time, I had the, uh, the opportunity to work under a leader that really, I would say, was one of the biggest influences in my life. Uh, during that season of my life. He had this amazing ability to cast vision and, and rally people and create clarity and bring out the best in our team. And, and at, at one point in time, he was even able to convince the, the, the big decision makers in our school district to allow us to completely redesign our school and our learning environment. And so during that first year, we, we overhauled our approach 
with, with regards to everything. That was from the parking lot to the closing bell. And, and the goal was to create an environment in which people could thrive, where they felt safe, they felt honored, they felt respected. And so in order to do that, we took some time to visit schools in places like Maine and New York City. And, and, and the whole purpose was just to glean from other people who had built healthy cultures in their school environment. And so um, what we ended up doing as a result of, of all the research and development that we did in year one is we recrafted codes of conduct and in, 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 in how our school would feel and how each interaction with students would, would transpire and how we would include student input in the decision process to the degree that that was possible. And, and so that was year one. And then during years two, three, and four, we started implementing all these things. And what was really amazing is that a healthy culture just became healthier. But I'll tell you this, the change wasn't immediate. It was incremental. It was ongoing. And then we got to year five, and that's when everything changed. And here's why. The leadership changed. And so in this period of eight months from the start of a school year to the finish, the work we had invested so much time and so much energy in just completely evaporated. There was so much tension and conflict and angst. It impacted everyone and everything. And as, as the year waned on, it seemed like the list of people that were considering reassignment or resigning altogether from, from education just grew and grew. And when we finally crossed the finish line, I'll never forget this, I walked into the conference space at our building where we were going to hold our, our final staff meeting. And um, what was customary in, in, in our school was that if you were, if you were bidding farewell, and this was primarily because generally people had great experiences. We wanted, we, you'd get a framed photo of yourself and you'd have time to address the entire staff. And when I walked into that classroom or, or that conference area, the entire perimeter was lined with pictures of people who were either being reassigned or resigning from their post. Of a staff of 100 people, 33 of them were bidding that place farewell. This mass exodus wasn't really the problem. It was just a symptom of a problem. And the problem was the leadership. And I tell this story because I think it highlights something Jesus is trying to show us. Who we surrender to matters. Who's in charge of your life matters. Who's leading you matters. And just like the farmer in the parable who refused to do anything to jeopardize the wheat. Jesus is the leader we can surrender to because he has the best interests of people in mind. And if you want to be transformed by the power of Jesus' kingdom, if you want the power of Jesus' kingdom to grow in your life, you have to surrender to King Jesus. And just like there's a time between planting and harvesting, what Jesus does in our lives, it's not immediate, it's incremental. And it happens as he takes every inch of our brokenness and a broken reality and he puts it under his leadership and care. That's every bit of it, psychologically, socially, politically, economically, spiritually. As he brings it under the power of his leadership, it can be healed and transformed, but it doesn't happen all at once. And it can only happen through surrender. And we know that surrender takes time. And the reason it takes time is because it takes a willingness for us to face ourselves and begin turning over the areas of our lives that we've been holding on to so tightly. And so I'm here to just suggest that the life you innately want 
the, the restoration and the transformation that you innately desire deep in your heart for yourself, for your family, for your community, and for your culture is not going to happen overnight. And it can only happen through surrender. Incremental, complete surrender to Jesus. Surrender is how the power of God grows in our lives. And as it grows, we begin to develop a patience and a stability that will allow us to face anything. Because we know that there's a day coming and nothing can stop it when everything is going to be brought under the power of the kingdom of God. We know that at some point, there's going to be a harvest. And here's what I imagine when Jesus talked about the harvest. I think his tone of voice changed. I think his demeanor changed. I think, I, I think it all shifted. And I think he communicated this idea of a final harvest with a degree of heaviness of heart, knowing that not everyone would understand the gravity of what he was trying to communicate. What we find in, in Matthew chapter 13, it's verses 37 through 43, um, really what it is, if we summarize it, it's a, a radical public division of people into two categories. Those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus and those who have not. Here's what it says. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Look, I don't know about you, but um, the idea of radical public separation and judgment just sobers me all the way up. And, and I don't think it's what anyone has ever really wanted to hear. And I, I really would love to stand up here and tell you that Jesus had a different take. But I think I'd be a, in abandoning uh, what Jesus was really trying to convey here if I said that. And I think what, what Jesus really is trying to help us understand through this whole parable is that there are two kingdoms. Everyone surrendered to one of them. And right now, those two kingdoms are growing up side by side in the hearts of people. And one kingdom is growing people in their ultimate reality towards complete restoration. And the other is growing people towards destruction. And one day, one day the final kingdom will be fully established and every trace of the counter kingdom will disappear as if it never even existed. And so Jesus, Jesus ended these verses with something that I believe is just in, atten, intended to get our attention. Here's what he says. Anyone who has ears should listen. And so I've been trying to follow Jesus for the past 19 years. And, and this, this parable is no less staggering me today than, than when I first read it. And here's why. The parable is about the fate of people. And this is a frightening aspect of this parable. And it begs the question, what does Jesus mean when he says the enemy sows seeds that are growing up like wheat, just like wheat until the very end? This is why this passage has been so staggering and sobering and led me personally to a point of desperation because what it means is that there are there are people who believe that they've surrendered their lives to Jesus, yet they haven't. 
I think this is a clear statement in this passage, that there are people who are convinced they're following Jesus, but they're not. And as startling as that is to hear, I do think that Jesus offers us something that can help us tell the difference between someone who's surrendered their life to him and entered his kingdom and someone who hasn't. And again, don't try to figure this out for anyone other than yourself. Because the most important question to answer in your life is not whether someone else has surrendered to Jesus. It's whether or not you have. And so first, surrendering your life to Jesus can only happen through the power of God entering your life. It's like, it's like a miracle that happens. It's not a matter of, of self-reformation or making a few adjustments to make yourself right with God. This is why Jesus talks about his kingdom as seeds being planted. A seed can't really plant itself. A seed really can't grow itself. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, I think what you begin to realize is that there's this outside power that's been at work in your life. It came in and it's been dealing with you at your core in the depths of your soul, transforming you. And what you begin to realize is that through every challenge and through every struggle and through every season of growth, someone has been at work in your life, opening your eyes and guiding you and transforming you from the inside out. What you realize is that surrender to Jesus really is a miracle. It's the power of God at work in your life. But there's another way to discover if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, and it's this. You're growing. And here's how you're growing. A person who's surrendered their life to Jesus is growing incrementally and comprehensively more like Jesus, into the likeness of Jesus. And this, this only happens as the power of God sinks deeper and deeper into the, the recesses of your heart. And you respond to that by surrendering more areas of your life, every area of your life to Jesus, your spirituality, your emotions, your, your intellect, your sexuality, your finances, absolutely every area of your life. Here's what I think is true about a person who's never actually surrendered their life to Jesus. You're never really ever content with anything other than something in God. God in health, God in prosperity, God in career success, God in fill in the blank. And you discover this the moment that that thing or that person you've built your life on, you've built your identity on and your hope around is assaulted and becomes shaky. And you can't rely on it the way that you relied on it before. And, and, and in that season, you find that God never really was ever enough. But someone who's surrendered their life to Jesus is someone who more and more, incrementally, step by step, finds that no matter how dark things get, there's a growing contentment with God, a growing dependence on God, a growing stability on God. Even when the things in your life that you used to build your life on get shaky and unstable and you can't rely on them anymore because they're falling apart, someone who surrendered their life to Jesus grows increasingly aware of their own brokenness, their own faults, their own weaknesses than they ever dared becoming aware of. But there's something else that they're becoming aware of simultaneously. It's the deep love of God that as you become more deeply aware of your sin and your brokenness, somehow you become more deeply aware of God's love for you. And this is like this unique, miraculous, psychological mind shift that takes place in the life of someone who's surrendered to Jesus. The more wicked you feel, the more loved 
you become all at the same time. And this can only happen when you surrender your life to Jesus because only the power of God can transform you in this way. And so a person who's surrendered their life to anything other than Jesus is always at work trying to hide their faults or shift the blame or look down on someone else, especially when they don't believe what they believe or think what they think or ascribe to what they ascribe to. But one of the differences between someone who's surrendered to Jesus and someone who hasn't is someone who has humility and someone who's filled with arrogance. A life surrendered to Jesus is growing in humility. You're growing more humble and less arrogant because you have an increasing awareness of the depth of your sin and the depth of God's love simultaneously. And so according to Jesus, we've either surrendered our lives to him and the power of his kingdom is growing in us, or we've surrendered our lives to the counterfeit kingdom and that's what's growing in us. And what Jesus would want you to hear if you've done the latter is that it will turn you into someone that you never wanted to become and it'll take you to a place you never wanted to end up. And I'm sure that there are people listening to this right now who don't know, maybe you don't know if you've ever surrendered your life to Jesus or maybe surrendering or the idea of surrender at all is just something that's off-putting to you. You feel like, no, you're going to have to give up too much of your personal identity and what you've worked so hard to attain. And so I think it's important that Jesus... to highlight that Jesus shared this parable really so that we wouldn't be left in the dark. And there are some things that he doesn't say in this parable that I'd like to just put before you. And it's not because Jesus was intentionally leaving things out. It's because there's not any one parable that really captures the full essence of who Jesus is and what he came to do. You have to look at him as a whole. And so one thing that Jesus never tells us in this parable is he never he never explains how the good seeds became good. And he never tells us how the bad seeds became bad. But I think we know enough about Jesus to know that there's no good seed apart from Jesus. And there's no harvest apart from Jesus. That through the power of Jesus, if you're still breathing, you're not too far gone because Jesus can turn weeds into wheat if you're willing to surrender. You see, the power of God grows in us through surrender. And so I want to show you how to become a person who can surrender their life to Jesus. According to Jesus, um, the, the kingdom is not a place. It's a power at work in our lives, transforming absolutely everything. That's why he talks about it like seeds being planted, right? A seed doesn't grow through force or coercion. It grows through surrender. And in John chapter 12, Jesus says something that I, think, that I think paints a picture. It shows us a clear picture of the greatest surrender that has ever taken place in the history of the universe. In verse 23, here's what he says. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. Look, the surrender Jesus mentions here is his own life. And in an act of obedient surrender to God, he's going to allow himself to become like a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. You see, just a short time after he spoke 
these words, Jesus would be cut down just like the stalks, just like the weeds in this parable. And he'd be bound just like the weeds in this parable. And even though he did nothing to deserve it, he'd be separated, he'd be cast out, and he'd be burned up just like the weeds in the parable. And all of this took place because God was doing something through this act of surrender. And here's what God was doing. Uh, We find it in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 21, it says that God made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so what no one realized at the time is that Jesus' death would end up becoming a great catalyst for a great harvest that nothing can stop. You see, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, as the weeds grow up with the wheat, They're powerless. They're powerless to stop the wheat from growing and maturing and flourishing. And unlike what would naturally happen with an infestation of zizania, the growth of the wheat's not stunted and not one grain is lost because Jesus never loses what is his. When you surrender your life to Jesus and his power starts to work in your life, And in you and through you, you'll discover that the the life you really want to have, the person you really want to have is only ever brought forth by, by surrender. And what you'll realize is that really what it only ever takes is one more surrender, surrendering to Jesus one more time. And eventually, eventually you'll put your head up. And you'll realize, you'll see that his power has changed you more radically than you realized you needed to be changed and more thoroughly and more fully than you thought was ever possible. You see, the way that you become a person who can surrender your life to Jesus is by seeing Jesus become like the weeds and seeing him be cut down and bound and burned and cast out for you. So that the seed of the kingdom of God could be planted in the deep recesses of your heart. And the power of God could begin growing in you in a way that will assault and heal every area of your brokenness. You become a person who can surrender your life to Jesus when you see Jesus sacrificing himself for you. When you see Jesus like this, this is when it begins to sink deep down into your heart. And surrender to Jesus becomes something that you want to do, not something that you feel like you're obligated to do. When you see that Jesus took the pain and the punishment that you deserved to make you right with God, you start to say, I'm willing to do anything for you. Whether it seems practical, whether it makes sense, whether it's going to cost me something that I've built my identity on and I feel like I've worked really hard to attain whether it costs me something I feel like I deserve, whether it forces me to walk away from something that I've built my entire life on, I'm willing to do anything for you, Jesus. Look, to say anything less than this to Jesus is less than surrender. And being a son or daughter of the kingdom of God means complete surrender to King Jesus. And the picture we see in verses 41 through 43... Really what it is, is it's a picture of the perfect reality that we crave, that we we long for. It's It's a picture where the indelible longings deep in our hearts can actually be experienced. 
It's a reality free of everything that's ever set you back or caused you to stumble or caused you to feel empty or angry or like a failure. It's a reality that you were made for. It's a reality that was established and will be fully established by King Jesus. Look, the picture we have in these verses shows us that Jesus isn't the kind of king that you merely acknowledge. He's the kind of king that you give yourself to fully and completely because Jesus is the true kingdom. Is Jesus is the true king and his kingdom is the kingdom that you were made for and his kingdom is the final kingdom. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Jesus, um, we really just want to be people who completely and fully surrender our lives to you. We want to be people that are sons and daughters of your kingdom. We want to be people that believe in our heart of hearts that your kingdom really is the kingdom that we were made for. And your kingdom is the final kingdom. And what you're doing ultimately is is comprehensive enough and it's powerful enough to confront every area of our lives that are broken and heal every area of our lives that are broken, but not just our lives, reality as a whole. This is what we want to believe, Jesus. And what we're asking you to do is help us believe that. Help us to become people whose lives are fully surrendered to you so that we can become people who represent you to the world in which we live. Jesus, we love you. We're desperate for you. We need you. And we're just asking you to show up in a way that only you can. In your holy name, amen.